Welcome to the Nature Backed Podcast of Singler. In this podcast series, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I'm talking with investor Rodrigo Sepulveda, a founder of Expon Capital, on principles of VC investing and how climate tech does not fully fit into that model of uh, traditional VC investment world. Enjoy the show. Hi, Rodrigo. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, enjoying the life uh, here in the sunny Estonia. How's Paris? Well, it's very sunny. Spring has arrived. It's pretty cool. Fantastic. Um, you've been, you know, in an investment scene, uh, looking at the startups for years and years and years. Um, sorry, I'm not going to mention your age, right? I'm not going to mention my age either. Um, tell me when you know a startup comes to pitch to you that they are they will you know become the the will change the whole world to be green and sustainable. What are the first things which you know come to your mind, or how do you start to see deeper into that story? Wow, that's a very big question. Sorry, I'll start. I'll start with not answering your question. Okay, that's cool. I'll, and then I'll answer it a little bit. Um, so I've been investing for about fifteen years. I started angel investing. Uh, wow, yeah, two thousand six, seven, around that time. Um, and I started Expon Capital with uh, three other partners in Luxembourg in 2015. And the thesis of Expon Capital has been impact investing almost since we started. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about that. But mm. the first thing is that when we invest, we're at first we're investors. So I looked at a set of criteria in each company. And in the past six and a half years, we've seen over 10,000 investment opportunities. Uh, we call them deals, although they're not deals, they're investment opportunities. So that's about you know, 2,000 a year or 40 or 50 every week. So we need to build a very quick asset test to go through all the companies and figure out whether they're investable or not. Uh, of those, we see about 10% that we have a pitch of one hour um, after we look at all the documentation they, they send us which is not a lot. And after that initial meeting, it goes down again and we might continue discussions with maybe two out of the 10. So I've built a framework around how to analyze a company in, through four pillars. And there are 12 questions. So there are like three sub questions in each big question. And each part is extremely important to us. And if, if each part doesn't check properly, then it's not an investment company. So overall, <clears throat> when we get a deck or a pitch, the first thing we look at is, does it fit our investment thesis? And every fund has a different investment thesis. It could be geography, it could be stage, it could be the kind of companies. So for example, we only do technology, anything outside of tech we do not do or did not do. Um, so no music, no real estate, no recording studio, for example. Within tech, there are a lot of things that we would pass. Nothing related to e-commerce, nothing related to art tech, advertising, nothing related to hardware, for example. So we tend to screen out everything that doesn't fit the investment thesis. Obviously, the thesis of Exxon Capital having been impact, um, we look at it through our own little uh, lens 
of how we define impact at, at the firm. Uh, and I'll get into that. Mm-hmm. If we pass that, then we look at the four big areas I was talking about. The first one is marketing. Second one is finance. Third one is operations. And the fourth one is deal. In marketing, I want to understand what is the value proposition of a company? What is the pain they're trying to solve? I'm not very good at identifying new opportunities. Uh, so I tend to look at only companies that solve real pains in big markets or identified customers usually. And this is where we look at the penicillin you know, test versus the aspirin test. Is it a got to have or a nice to have? Mm-hmm. And if we have identified a big enough market with a big enough pain, then I'm interested in looking at the other 11 questions. A lot of companies fail at this stage. You don't know what they do after five or 10 minutes of chatting with them. <laughs> and they still haven't said what they do. They're trying to prove there is a market for this or that. Uh, but we don't know what the pain is. What is their value proposition? Then point two is, okay, what is their solution to the pain? And then before they existed, how did all the other players in this market operate without this new solution, right? So it's full mm-hmm. competition. Mm-hmm. Why is it sustainable? So that's kind of the big asset test. Unfortunately, most entrepreneurs spend all of their time with an investor on these first three things. And they forget the other three, mm-hmm. the other nine mm-hmm. things, right? So they talk about the market and prove there's a market and how good their product is and demo for half an hour. Sometimes they talk about competition. It's not enough, right? It's necessary, not enough. Then I like to know how they make money, what we call the business models or unit metrics. Mm -hmm. I like to look at cash flow projections. How much will be needed to finance this business idea? I like to look at risk analysis. So what are the big risks? I mean, there are a lot of very usual risks, market traction, technology, team, et cetera. But some specific businesses have their own specific risks. Could be legal risks, for example. Data privacy, if you're working with healthcare, for example. So once we've looked at marketing, we looked at finance, then we look at operations. How is this team going to operate on that idea and execute? And I like to look at who's missing in the team more than who's in there. Mm. And a lot of entrepreneurs go through the whole list of you know, the logos they have on the team. Mm. Not interested. Okay, um, tell me why you're good enough and who's missing. Then go to market. How are you planning to go and acquire people who will pay for the service or the product? And then since we invest in tech, I look at tech. That's Mm -hmm. my first nine questions. Mm -hmm. And we need to keep time for the deal. So what am I buying specifically? Is it just vaporware? Just very early or what do we have? It's surprising that how often we have to ask entrepreneurs, where are you incorporated? Which mm. is a key question for an investor, right? Exactly. But they never exactly. tell us how many people there you have, how many offices, and what contracts, what IP, blah, blah, blah. Now, what am I buying today? Then what's the deal? How much are you offering of your equity or how much do you want? And a lot of them don't like to tell us. Is it for you to tell us? <laughs> Whatever. Mm. Uh, is it debt? Is it convertible note? Is it safe? Is it equity? And then the, the key question for me is, why now? Mm. The call to action. Why should I invest now? Because when I go back and see other co-investors or partners of the firm, they'll ask me, so why should we invest now? Mm. So the entrepreneur should be smart and like, give me the answer on a slide. This is why you should invest now in us. Now, going back to, um, to the question on impact. So all those questions I just talked about is everything that an investor should be looking at before committing some money 
mm. be willing to some percentage of risk to lose it. Mm, of course. Somet- sometimes quite a big percentage. No, actually, uh, we only lost money on a very small amount on the very first deal, we did 27 deals. So, uh, mm. yeah, other people lose more money. But the <clears throat> our job is to invest as professional investors and to go through the whole checklist of a professional investment. Now, let's go back to the uh, impact thesis. Mm. So, when I was um, traveling a lot to Silicon Valley back in 2011, um, I went to, uh, to one of the Singularity University dinners and I sat next to a person who told me, you know, um, 96% of the time, a car sits idle on the streets. Like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I never thought about it. And like public transport and, and walking and cycling don't compensate for that. It's a huge asset. People put a lot of money that is not active 96% of the time. And then we need to create roads and parking spots and congestion for these cars that are useless. And what they were looking at is creating a car sharing model in the same way that Airbnb, who had just started, could be done, right? And this company was called uh, Getaround, um, which became a unicorn and SoftBank went in. But I joined in the seed round, wow. like the very wow. first round of this company, because the pitch was that was an, what we call now impact, but it was like a tech for good idea. Mm. Let's use technology to solve a real problem on a very big market for cars that are unused, make it more accessible for other people, cheaper for people, and just take cars off the street. Mm. Just take carbon emissions off the air just get you know stress of people's health because of traffic so that was probably my first investment in impact now when we were starting x1 capital back in 2015 we needed a differentiating strategy mm-hmm. as any startup needs i just said you know, point yeah. one what's yeah. the problem for us was raising a venture capital firm what's your product our product how is it different from anyone else and we use the Singularity University um, framework, and I had just attended the, this executive program that summer, um, to assess companies that can grow really, really fast, what we're called you know, exponential growth. And there was a book called The Exponential Organization uh, by Salim Ismail from Singularity. He was the dean there. He had analyzed the first 100 unicorns and what they had in common to grow really, really fast. So he has 10 criteria that are optional, but you need at least at least six of them. But one is compulsory, and it's called the MTP, which was the Massive Transformative Purpose. Massive meant for them a billion people. We said, well, all of our technologies should be able to impact at least a continent, so about 500 million people. So we wouldn't invest in anything that is country-specific, but pan-European mm. or global. Mm. Transformative means I'm not looking at anything that is incremental. Like if you're going to sell on e-commerce and this will sell maybe two times better, it's not super disruptive. Mm. And we can get into examples of stuff we did, but something that re- is really transformative. And then we struggle with the P. What could the purpose be? 
And the book had a lot of examples, like the purpose of Google is to organize the world's information. And looking at, <clears throat> at recent research, we found out that the United Nations General Assembly had just approved the UN SDGs, mm -hmm. the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, they were very new back then. This is 2015. Now they're all over the place and everyone has a pen with the UN SDGs, but back then no one knew about them. And the UN SDGs were 17 frameworks of goals. There are over 160 uh, sub-goals now in 17 different silos that were approved by 196 countries saying these are the priorities for the world by 2030, which was the timeframe of our fund. 2030 is now in only eight years. How do we make an impact? How do we actually help as a firm, as a venture capital firm, invest in businesses that can contribute to enhance the state of the world, specifically by measuring their impact on one of the UNSDG's sub-goals. And that became our asset test for any business we would look at. Mm. So a couple of examples. We invested in an educational business called GLOWS that was trying to help kids learn better and faster. Education was one of the goals. Mm. Think of Kindle plus social reader, but that back then Kindle did not have a social reader. The business was eventually acquired by Medium, first acquisition in Europe. One of the other sub-goals in the fintech world, and there are not that many in the UNSDGs, was to reduce remittance costs. Mm. So when people wire money to someone else. And we found a company in Spain that actually was doing wires with zero cost. Wow. So that wow. fitted that. So not giving money to the banks, but actually people were sending money, they were kept keeping it. It was one of the UNSDG sub-goals. We eventually sold a company called Verse. We sold it to Square. Again, first acquisition in Europe. Mm. How did they make money if uh, there was no cost? Ah, but it's the same as Robinhood. Mm. Right? You can make money out of premium services. You can make money just because you hold money onto an account. They came out with a Visa card. They did a lot of things mm. behind it but they were helping people transfer money um we then invested uh for example in a business uh operating out of nairobi in kenya which was a social network uh, of over two million farmers talking to each other we did this with a silicon valley fund called true ventures uh helping them share information and improve the crops mm. And it, this falls under the UNSDG prosperity. We also did a satellite business that went public on the York Stork Exchange. And they were building back then the fourth best weather forecasting model in the world. And then they became the best weather forecasting model in the world. And climate has a huge impact on everyone else. Of course. We invested in Glovo, which is a food delivery business. But you just look at it and you say, well, how is this anywhere relevant to the uh, impact economy? Well, when we invested, Spain had a 25% unemployment rate. The company is based out of Barcelona. Mm -hmm. But the youth, people who actually were riding the Glovers, was over 50%. Wow. So overall, I don't have the latest, but last time we checked, 
And the company had created 340,000 jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Out of maybe an active force of 70,000 or 65,000. So people had an opportunity to start working again. They were paid all above the minimum wage and they were getting dignity. They were getting a salary. And this was like a stepping stone into getting another job. And we thought that was fantastic. It falls again under prosperity and uh, helping the economy in a massive scale. Absolutely. Now then COVID happened and all the shops that we had a hard time signing up, restaurants, uh, over 100,000 restaurants signed up and food delivery was the only channel they had to survive. So it also helped over 100,000 very small businesses, restaurants, down a corner, survive the thing. Mm. So the impact of that was huge. Absolutely. I'll give a final example. One of my partners uh, invested in a semiconductor company called Pliops in Israel. And what they do is they build a chip that organizes storage in data centers in a much more efficient way, transformative way, like more than 10x reduction in number of writes and reads and movements. So that actually consumes like 90% less energy. Wow. Overall for the whole data center brings it down to about 30% less. Mm. And when you look at the world's consumption of energy, data centers consume about five to four to five percent of the world's energy. So just this company, what they're aiming to do is reduce at least one percent of the world's energy consumption just by better, more efficient, you know, hardware uh, to manage that. So this is how we looked at at Expon Capital. We looked at impact saying two things. It has to contribute to society as a whole. And we use the UN SDG framework that we adapted so that we could measure it. And uh, so so my partner, Jerome, came up with our first impact report uh, last year, which is on our website uh, or on my LinkedIn. You can go and download it, in which we actually track, you know, jobs created, um, male, female, gender equality in jobs, uh, CO2 emission reduction, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Very nice. The, uh, how high on that uh, kind of the... I don't know, challenge list was, uh, or is climate? So climate is extremely high in, um, in all kinds of ways. I mentioned the satellite business that we looked at. Uh, we looked at energy consumption. In my uh, personal time, I spent a lot of time with wine. Mm. So people think it's like a funky hobby. But in wine, we've seen in the past 10, 15 years, harvests happening two to four weeks earlier than they used to historically. It's not a joke. When Donald Trump says global warming is a joke, it's not a joke. I like to go to the great outdoors with my kids. And we've been to, for example, in Chile to glaciers. And the guy was just pointing out and says, you see that glacier up there? 20 years ago, it was coming down to the water. This is in Patagonia. Mm. And you see the global warming. So, we invested, for example, in an e-scooter and e-bike business called Dot. And that was one of the main concerns that we had is reduce pollution, reduce consumption, go electric, um, just trying to build you know, a better planet for everyone. Mm. Now, there are a number of new funds coming up focusing exclusively on climate technologies. 
Um, it has a number of challenges, but it has to be done. First is the 10 year time frame for a fund to return the money is maybe too short for these guys. Maybe they need to go to a 15 year time frame or a 20 year time frame, mm. which is too much anyways. I mean, depending on the year, <laughs> we're, we're told that we have three years left or four years left before the point of no return or we've already passed the point of no return. Um, but it doesn't fit the proper venture capital model, right? That's the first thing. Second, climate impacts a lot of different things. And I'm thinking of a fund, for example, uh, in London called 2150, where one of my buddies, uh, Christian Hernandez, is there. Um, they're looking at a lot of things that are not tech in the sense that we used to look at. It's not software. It's not SaaS. It's like building materials. You know, wh what is it you're putting in the walls of new buildings to dissipate less heat or keep mm -hmm. more heat, etc.? So. It requires a new set of skills to invest in climate in addition to what we used to do and a different time frame to invest. Mm. The, um, I mean, you're referring to uh, this 10-year time frame as a proper venture capital, I don't know, system or venture proper venture capital uh, world. Uh, is there such thing as a proper venture capital world? Isn't it all kind well, of in a, in, a, in a changing environment uh, on, a, on a constant it, it, it basis? It is changing. It is changing. And even ourselves, we try to change some of the rules of how we operate. Mm. Um, so venture capital was started um, in the very early 80s uh, in the U.S. There was a, a law that was passed in 1979 that allowed uh, investment funds Alternative, alternative investment funds to invest in a high risk class, which is what where we fall in. And that gave a lot of money to new funds. And this is where all the big guys that you heard about in the Valley started funding, you know, the Apples and Microsofts and all of those guys. Um, it was structured, you know, I think through iteration saying, okay, why do we need a 10 year time frame? Because we will invest during the first five years. That's what we call the investment period, and then we need to give enough time to the company to mature before we can sell it. Back in the first bubble, and <laughs> the younger audience probably don't know what we're talking about, but in 2000, there was a huge bubble. Really? <laughs> yeah. Companies were created and sold sometimes in less than one year. Like YouTube was sold after 11 months for $1.7 if I remember well. Right? It's crazy. But that doesn't exist anymore. It's very rare. Maybe you have this exception. It's pretty rare. So you need to give time for the company to grow organically or buy other companies, but develop a product and build their income, etc. So if you invest in year three of a fund, you need to give it at least five years. So you're in year eight. And when you're in year eight, doesn't mean you're going to be selling the next day. You know, you're going to start courting, you know, potential buyers or go public. So... This is why we came up with a 10-year time frame. Now, 10 years is very long. If I say to you, okay, give me your money and I'm going to return it to you in 10 years, you go like, wow, that's too long. So a number of people have tried new models in which you can provide partial liquidity to your investors so that they get money back earlier or they reinvest it. 
Um, and those are called crossover funds, right? Sequoia just came up with a new model, which is kind of an evergreen fund uh, to do this. Um, the, main, the main concern here is that you cannot be constrained by the 10 year, right? Investors need their money back earlier. Some products, as we just discussed, climate needs time later. So we need to find new models. And then we had this historical distinction of early stage or seed and A, B or late stage or growth. Mm. It doesn't really make sense because you see a seed rounds that are crazy, over 100 million new money in. And then you see some late stage and it's like a five, eight million late stage. It's like, what order does this go? So, you know, this funny quote is that you can't take nine women and have a baby in one month, right? The company mm -hmm. has to mature by itself. It can go really fast if you're experienced, if you're lucky, if the, 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 the winds are blowing in the right way. But basically, it starts historically with some person with an idea and a piece of paper, getting a bunch of friends or people they know, coding some kind of mock-up, and that's the seed stage. Mm. Break it down in pre-seed, pre-A, seed, whatever number of rounds. Mm. And that's usually financed by friends and family or business angels or micro VCs or incubators. Right? Once you have that money, you have enough time and cash to go and experiment the market and go for what we call product market fit. Product market fit is when you are more or less sure that what you just invented will find an audience and that people are willing to pay good money for your product. It's different if it's B2B, B2C. In B2B, we tend to like to look at a business that has four or five similar contracts, large size, hopefully several hundred Ks each, whatever the currency. And you've sold the same thing a few times, four or five times. This is not your uncle or someone you knew from high school or buying you, right? Everyone has someone like that in the network. So there is some traction. There is some market attraction. If you're in the B2C space, well, with social media now, you need to have several hundreds of thousands of users and a subset of that will convert into paying customers if it's not advertising. That's product market fit. The next stage is getting to either profitability on one market or one business, one product, before you launch the second product or you go to a second market. But it's usually getting to profitability to some extent. And then it's expansion, mm -hmm. going into new businesses or going to markets. And those used to have names, right? So now there are funds that operate at different stages because they're not the same skills, it's not the same check size, so it's hard to mix. And a lot of people, including Xbond, try to do a bit of early stage, a lot of late stage uh, as an option pool. Um, it works sometimes. Um, but yeah, entrepreneurs looking for money should understand where does the, the fund operate usually. Mm, right? Absolutely. You don't show up in jeans and flip-flops at a three-star Michelin restaurant. Not saying it's better. Mm. Just saying there are codes, and there's a way to talk to people, uh, or, or willingness to pay, uh, to operate. Mm, absolutely. Um, 
is there is there any good tips how uh, we could uh, squeeze climate into the old uh, old school venture capital model i think everyone is aware that it's a big issue but also everyone is aware that it'll take more time and it doesn't fit the current model mm. right so currently within the existing framework it's really hard the large majority of funds are not crossover funds and the large majority of funds are constrained by the 10-year list mm. so transition global for example um, is looking at this so the helgeson brothers uh, there's 2150 in the uk there's 2050 interesting choice <laughs> of names in paris and no link between the two right Huh? No, no link between the two, right? No, 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 no okay. that's not. Yeah. Um, looking at you know, all these desirable futures, a uh, future positive planet is looking at this. I mean, there are a number of funds mm. looking at looking at this, but um, I don't know. The, the, I would ask you another question: Is it a private sector initiative, or should this be a public sector initiative, or a mix of both? Uh, I mean, uh, not definitely public sector, right? I mean, uh, it, public sector can have a word or have a say or have a capital in it, but over in overall picture, you know, my understanding, private um, private money will change this world if if at all. Yeah, so I think some regulation and some top-down public sector initiatives can help. Mm, absolutely. When you ban, when you ban plastic bags mm. and move to totally paper bags, right? It's a ban by the government. Mm. Um, but then if we all try to reduce our energy consumption, change all of our light bulbs with LEDs, etc., but then you see massive consumptions elsewhere. So it's a, probably a mix, mm. right? And yeah. we need to invent ways to foster private initiative. We all know innovation is usually yeah. comes from more individuals yes. um, to get there. Mm. I mean, a great, a great example is our, our buddy, Elon Musk, right? With his, uh, solar power initiatives mm. and i read back in 2011 or 2012 there was a big wired interview on elon musk and no one knew who he was back then really and his thing was no fossil energy will go away so we need to reinvent now how we are going to drive mm. that was his main motivation like fossil fuel was going to go away um way before he started talking about mars mm. but I think the dilemma I maybe have or seen this uh, kind of the the climate and venture capital model is in the fact that when you look at the kind of climate news, uh, I mean, we kind of don't have too much time. We should fix this uh, model ASAP and find the initiatives which can actually change the climate as soon as possible. I agree. Mm. The problem, again, is how, how the how the industry is structured. Mm. If you're an entrepreneur, try to solve this, you have to start small. Very few will start big. Mm. So your impact will take time yeah. to make a difference. And then you'll go and find traditional people who will understand that this will take time. So that's why I'm saying it's hard to do it with private money mm. unless you can go with very big private money now to go faster mm. who has this and who understands this is a, the urgency of climate is probably public money mm. they can they can move fast in a way one weird place where public money could move faster 
I mean, uh, I'm slightly surprised to say, even even say those words out loud, but <laughs> but but it could be right. Absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely, Minna. Yeah, I'm a strong proponent of the role of government in a number of areas, and one of those is infrastructure. Mm. It doesn't make sense to build three competing highways next to each other as public money. The, the regulator has to come in and say, okay, let's like have a concession or have a bid or decide. But this is a public good. Yeah. Right? Climate is a public good. Mm. So we yeah, should but, yeah, but without, I mean, I do agree it's a public good, but at the same time, you know, you can't run a private uh, anything without it, right? If it's totally... Yeah totally upside down or not not functional or have you ever been to china uh, yes to some extent not too much though so i remember when um, when i first went to china in 2004 pollution did not reach the airport and there were only three rings now there are six rings and pollution reaches the airport when I went to uh, Shanghai in 2008, you could still see something from your window. And then you can't see anything. Mm. Wow. And climate is not is a global problem, mm. like the pandemic, right? And we yeah. tend to treat it as a local problem. Yeah, finding... Uh, One has to do this together because, you know, if we, we stop polluting and... A couple of guys, even they represent two billion people, keep polluting as much as before, or even worse. What's the point? Mm, exactly. It to be some incentive to solve it together. Mm. So I think it's a good point to kind of wrap it up with a solving together point. Um, yeah. I don't know what would be the platform or formula for solving it together because uh, on a global scale, the the only global organization seems to be failing in many, 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 many things. Um, talking of the UN and all, all its initiatives. Uh, maybe the, also the, I mean, the reviews of the Glasgow climate meeting late last year were, <clears throat> how to say politely, very, very mixed. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably the, the platform for, to do anything together, right? Look, uh, I, I remember when an, 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 what's it called? An unconventional truth. Mm. Yeah. The movie by Al Gore came out. Mm -hmm. When um, this other guy, the, the, the French photographer, uh, well, it'll come back. Two names. Mm -hmm. It was taking all the pictures from, uh, from above. And then he had this movie about home and our planet. And education has been there. We're just not reacting. <laughs> Everyone knows, yeah, right? Yeah. And there was this movie the other day, Look Up or mm -hmm. something yep. on Netflix, which yep. is just an allegory for you know, how fast the climate crisis is arriving on us. And how little we are actually are, reacting. Are, are not reacting. Mm. Um, you know, my kids give me shit if I buy you know, plastic bottles. Right, so they get it. Like the younger generation gets it. You know, we run around in bicycles now. Right, they, they kind of get it. It's probably the older generation, so people like me and maybe like you, who don't get it fast enough because maybe we're used to it and or to another world. Mm. Back then, pollution was okay. Um, mm. Like running around in thermal cars, right, or thermic cars and, and fuel. 
Um, I try to use, I try to recycle. We invest in a company called Refurbed mm-hmm. because there's no point building more phones and changing your phone every year. What mm-hmm. for? You know, you can change it every three years. You don't need more power consumption just to do a WhatsApp or something. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have kids working in mines and extracting cobalt, right? And what do you do with all the old equipment? You throw it away or just reuse it? I repair most of my stuff. You know, something's. I don't buy new stuff. Mm. Um, you know, I, I love you know brands such as Patagonia, which you could go and take your jacket and repair it for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, yeah, we just need to be more conscious of what we do and in, in our choices. Um, it's. I think the, the younger generation gets it, but it might be too late for them. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Tough. Tough. Good. Thanks, Rodrigo, for this uh, discussion. We'll continue it uh, with, mm-hmm. a, with a glass of wine at uh, one of the upcoming conferences. Uh, oh, pleasure. You know, that's my little hobby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. Thanks, and uh, have a good day. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.